Hey, hey, welcome to the Live Like It's True podcast, where we talk through some of the most outlandish stories in the Bible and what it would look like to live like those stories are true. I'm your host, Shannon Popkin, and my hope is that these conversations will inspire you to better know the story, share the story, and live the story. What if you were being lied to? Would you want to know it? We're going to talk in this episode about listening to the true story, leaning in carefully, and listening into this true story found in the Bible so that we're able to spot the false narratives of the world. I hope that you are enjoying this true story of Easter series. This last episode was called The True Story of the Arrest. It was this amazing conversation that I got to have with Lindsay Schott about the true story found in John chapter 18, 1 through 11. And in a bit, I'm going to be retelling that story. I'm also going to talk about, like I said, these false narratives and how to let this true story shine a light on them. But before we get to it, I want to make sure you've heard about my Live Like It's True workbook. It's a free downloadable resource. You can find the link in the show notes and it includes a four page true story worksheet that will help you place the truths from this story, this true story in the Bible next to the false narratives of the world. I am so excited to get this into your hands. So as a mom, if you're a mom too, you know that there are times that the stories just don't match up. (laughs) When my boys were little, they used to have these wars out in the woods in our neighborhood with the other boys that lived near us. And so there were alliances and ambushes and forts and planned attacks. And I would just like half listen as they were talking about all of these things. Uh, But one day, my four-year-old came in and told me that some big boys had shot at him. Now, don't worry, we're talking airsoft guns here. And he did not have any welts on his body, but still, I was alarmed. I said, they shot at you. How close were they? You know, were you wearing eye protection? And he told me, no, the boys just came up and shot at him. And so immediately, I picked up the phone and called my neighbor. And I said, Mike, your boys were shooting at Cade. He's only four. You know, we can't have this. And so Mike said, okay, I'll talk to my boys. Well, the doorbell rang just a little bit later. And when I went to the door, the boys were there and they said, Mrs. Popkin, we're we're sorry, but we didn't shoot at Cade. And I was like, what? They were not here to apologize. So they left and I immediately called my neighbor back and I said, your boys were just here, but I want you to know they did not apologize. And he calmly replied, you know, yes, I know the boys also told me that they hadn't shot at Cade. And he said, Shannon, it's one word against another here. And he said, I believe my boys. I don't think they shot at Cade. Well, I could not believe it. My precious little preschooler had been in the line of fire without eye protection, and this man was defending the shooters? You've got to be kidding me. I was outraged. So with all the resolve I could gather, I called my boys in and I said, okay, we have a new rule. From now on, whenever you see those boys, you know, with their airsoft guns, I want you to come running in the house immediately and tell me, okay, we cannot trust those boys. I mean, they shot at you, right, Cade? Now, the look on Cade's face kind of surprised me. 
he did not look like fully resolved. <laughs> he actually began to shift nervously from one leg to another. He was sucking on his fingers and he started saying, uh, well, well, and so I said, Cade, they did shoot at you, right? I mean, that's what you told me. And he kept saying, uh, well, <laughs> that's when I knew that I did not have the story right. The boys were the innocent ones. And my son was the one who needed to do some apologizing about his false narrative, his story that he had been telling. And you can be sure that he did make some apologies that day. So in the true story of the arrest that we talked about last time, Lindsay and I were talking about these false narratives and how our world is full of false narratives. There are these made up stories that might seem intuitively true, but they are not. They're stories about God and about us and about who we should trust. And unless we hear the true story, we are sure to believe the lie. So let me ask again, if you're being lied to, do you want to know about it? I mean, my neighbor in that story I just told you, he was right. There were two stories here and I was believing the wrong one. But in order to ever see the truth, I needed to put the two stories side by side. And if I was only going to listen to my preschooler, I was never going to find the truth. So have you heard the word worldview before? If you hear that word, please note that you're most likely hearing about false narratives, and true ones. Jeff Myers says that worldview is a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God and the world. So basically, our worldview is the story that we tell ourselves to make sense of this world that we are part of. Worldview is a storytelling word. And so very many people are telling themselves a story that is rooted in a lie or a false narrative. So how can we make sure we've got our story straight? Well, just like in the story with my son, we have to consider, first of all, we have to consider, oh, I might be believing a lie. And then we put our story next to the true story. And I hope you believe that the, the Bible is the true story. But even if you don't yet, even if you're still investigating, I would challenge you to read the true stories of the Bible and lay them next to the story that you're telling and see which one makes more sense. Many times we just, if we'll just take a moment to think about the narratives that we're telling ourselves, it doesn't take much to be convinced that, oh my goodness, I think I might be believing a lie. So uh, we mentioned earlier that in this Live Like It's True workbook that I've been sharing about, we have this worksheet and there's also a false narrative watch list. So it's got this list of false narratives that are common in the world. And then there are these sections in the True Story worksheet where there's, there's one section where on one side of the paper, you write down, here's what this particular story teaches is true about God and the world and human nature and what's important and the future. You know, you've got all these different categories. Here's what this story teaches is true. And then over on the other side, you think about here's what the world teaches either overtly or what the enemy covertly teaches about these very things. And so it's just so helpful to put them side by side and then come to the conclusion, how does this story correct one of the false narratives of the world? Because both stories can't be true. So we're able to spot the false narratives of the world by reading the true story in the Bible. 
that's what Lindsay and I were doing in that conversation that we had in that in the last episode, the true story of the arrest. We're talking about, okay, here's what this story says, and here's how the world does not line up with that story. I won't take time to rehearse all of the things that Lindsay and I talked about, but I want to just give you several of the false narratives that this particular story shines a light on. Okay, so here are three. So the world says that God is obviously out of control, that, you know, he is not in control of what's happening. The world says, I mean, look around you, bad things are happening. Clearly, God is not in control. But look at this scene. A very bad thing is happening. Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified. But is Jesus out of control? No, he is the one who is very clearly in control. He is not the passive victim here. He is the one taking charge. He is stepping out of the darkness. He is the one saying, who are you looking for? He is the one who is taking charge and walking toward the most horrific murder scene in the history of the world. So something bad is happening, and yet he is in control. Okay, so the second false narrative of the world says, if God is in control and this bad thing is happening, that means that God is not good. But again, look at this story. God is in control. A terrible thing is happening. And yet the scene of the cross is very, very good. You, I mean, it's a horrible scene, and yet it is good. If you know the implications of the cross, like that's what we're talking about this whole season, you know that this is a good story. So both can't be true. You have to choose which is the true story here. Okay, the third false narrative of the world says, you know, you don't really have to choose sides. You can believe in Jesus and you can believe a whole bunch of things, even contradictory things. You don't, you don't have to just choose one side. But this story shows, you know, you really do have to choose a, a side. We see Judas over on the side of the Roman cohort, the soldiers who want to kill Jesus. And then on the other side, there are the disciples who are loyal to Jesus. There's nobody in the middle. Now, and we know that the disciples, they're not perfectly loyal to Jesus. We're going to see Peter waver, but they have chosen a side. And really all of us, we have to choose a side. So I hope that that's helpful for you in just thinking about how can I look at these true stories in the Bible and allow them to reveal the false narratives of the world? Or let me say it a different way. When you know the true story, it helps reveal the false story. And really, that's what this whole series is about. We want to know the true story of Easter. So now I would like to retell for you the true story of the arrest. It's probably after midnight. Jesus has spent the entire evening with his beloved disciples, and now he brings them to a garden to pray. And while they're praying, some other people show up. Judas knows this spot. He's been there often, and he brings with him an entire Roman cohort of soldiers, probably 200 men or more, along with the temple guard. And they come with their lanterns and torches and their swords flashing in the moonlight. But there's no hunt. Jesus doesn't hide. Instead, he steps out to greet this huge army of soldiers. So on one side, we have Jesus with the 11 disciples. And on the other side, we have this army of soldiers with Judas. 
the lines have been drawn, and Judas is on the side of Jesus' enemies. So Jesus asks, who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says, I am. And there must have been some supernatural power in Jesus' voice when he says it, because all of those soldiers fall back to the ground, toppling all over one another. And then they begin to get up, and Jesus asks again, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, if, if it's me you're looking for, why don't you let my friends go? See, Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's watching out for his sheep. But then one of those sheep, Peter, decides it's time to rise up and protect the shepherd. So he pulls out his sword, and he slices off the ear of the high priest's servant named Malchus who might have been the only guy there without a weapon, so nice work, Peter. And Jesus tells him, Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus is saying, fighting these soldiers, it isn't what the Father has asked me to do. He's asked me to lay down my life and give it up, and that's what I'm going to do. So as I told that story, I hope you noticed that Jesus is not the victim here. This is not the story of a weak character falling into some trap. No, he is the hero with the limitless power laying his life down. And do you wonder why? This story begs the question, why would he do this? And so to answer that question, I hope you'll come back for the next part of the story. Uh, next Wednesday, I'll be talking about the true story in the dark with Asherita Chuchu. And if you've ever connected with Asherita or listened to her Prayers of Rest podcast, you know that she is an amazing Bible teacher and she has such a sweet, wise, calming presence. She's the perfect guest to help us prepare for Good Friday with a somber but hopeful heart. I sure hope you'll join us. If you've been enjoying this true story of Easter series, would you consider sharing it with a friend or leaving a rating or review to help others find the podcast? We want for others to know these stories, to be impacted by these stories, don't we? It's my hope through this podcast that each of us would become more inspired to know the story, share the story, and live the story. And now it's time to go live like it's true.